0: Chapter Twelve of Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands by James T. Nichols, Chapter Twelve, The Nightmare of Europe, Alsace-Lorraine. I congratulate you on the annexation of an open sword to your empire, said Emperor Francis Joseph of Austria to the German Kaiser when alsace Lorraine was ceded to Germany by the Treaty of Frankfurt at the close of the Franco-Prussian War in 1871. As we entered the World War to fight for the downtrodden people of the world, determined that people must have their rights, and that the peril of military autocracy must be crushed forever, the problem of alsace Lorraine became a great problem to America. Every citizen of the United States should know something of this little country that has been called the Nightmare of Europe. Germany made every possible effort to blind the eyes of the world in regard to the facts about these provinces. She constantly declared there was no alsace lorraine problem. In 1881, the Kaiser, in speaking of these provinces, gave utterance to these words. Germany would leave her 18 army corps and her 42 million people on the field of battle, rather than surrender a single stone of the territory won in 1871. Because Mr. Daniel Blumenthal, who lived in Alsace all his life, was mayor of one of the important cities there, and a member of the German Reichstag and the Alsace-Lorraine Senate for years, dared to tell the world the truth about his country, he was condemned to death eight times. He lived, however, and then they imposed upon him sentences of penal servitude that aggravated more than 500 years' time. The man finally got out of Germany, and the whole world then listened to his story. First, take a look at the provinces. They are located, as you know, at the northeast corner of France. Together, they are about as large as the Yellowstone National Park, or the size of about six Iowa counties. The soil is the most fertile to be found in Central Europe. The hills are richly wooded with fir, oak, and beech, as well as other varieties. Corn, flax, tobacco, grapes, and various fruits are grown. The great wealth, however, is in the minerals. Iron, lead, copper, coal rock salt, and even silver are there. Manufacturers of cotton and linen are plentiful. In the old days, this country was a part of ancient Gaul, and the Romans had it for 500 years. When Rome broke up, it became a part of France, and so remained until about the middle of the 10th century, at which time it came under the jurisdiction of Germany. Later on, Alsace became a part of the Holy Roman Empire. During these days, it was made a republic under the direction of a bishop, and became a decapola, or province with ten free cities. This league of free cities had control for two hundred years, and with this in mind it is easy to see where and how this principle of liberty and freedom was born in the hearts of these people. At the close of the Thirty Years' War, at the Peace of Westphalia in 1648, these provinces came back to France and constituted a part of this country until the close of the Franco-Prussian War when Germany took it. The Treaty of Frankfurt, which ceded this land to Germany, was as someone says, not a treaty of peace, but a treaty of hatred. Bismarck declared that Metz and Strasbourg had been an open door through which France came again and again to invade Germany, and he proposed to lock the door and throw the key into the well. Of course, he had an eye upon the rich iron mines, which were absolutely necessary to Germany in her preparation for a world war. This country had been a battlefield for centuries. It was the religious battleground in the 7th century. The Thirty Years' War devastated almost every foot of the territory. It is said that in one community there was not a wedding for 12 years and not a baptism for 15 years. Strasbourg, with its great university and priceless library, was burned. The writer of these lines passed through this country years ago where it is said that there were 200 square miles of cemeteries instead of farms. In 1870 to 1871 came the Franco-Prussian War, and once more these provinces were largely devastated. Somehow the people got an inkling that their land might go to Germany, and at once they were up in arms about it. They sent a delegation of twenty-eight men to the National Assembly at Bordeaux with the following appeal. Alsace-Lorraine are opposed to alienation. These two provinces, associated with France for more than two centuries in good and evil fortune, and constantly opposed to hostile attack, have consistently sacrificed themselves in the cause of national greatness. They have sealed with their blood the indissoluble compact that binds them to French unity. With one accord, citizens who have remained in their own homes and the soldiers who have hastened to join the colors proclaimed by their votes or by their action on the field to germany and to the world the unalterable determination to remain french when the decision was reached to give these provinces to germany they sent the following appeal to nations of europe europe cannot permit or ratify the abandonment of alsace and lorraine the civilized nations as guardians of justice and national rights cannot remain indifferent to the fate of their neighbor under pain of becoming in their turn victims of the outrages they have tolerated Modern Europe cannot allow a people to be seized like a herd of cattle. She cannot continue deaf to the repeated protest of threatened nationalities. She owes it to her instinct of self-preservation to prevent such abuses of her power. She knows, too, that the unity of France is now, as in the past, a guarantee of the general order of the world, a barrier against the spirit of conquest and invasion. Peace concluded at the price of cessation of territory could be nothing but a costly truce, not a final peace. It would be a cause of international unrest, a permanent and legitimate provocation of war. Even after this wonderful appeal, still another final plea was made, but it did no good. The heartless Bismarck had France by the throat, and other nations seemed afraid to champion the cause of these helpless people. Thus the whole world reaped the reward of silence when great principles were involved. I have given the protest almost in full, quoting it from David Starr Jordan, that readers of this chapter can behold the evil effects of accepting a peace, when the rights of people are left out of the question. A provision in this Treaty of Frankfurt allowed those who wished to cross the line into France to go. Of course, this would involve leaving their homes, their farms, their old neighbors, and everything else that they could not take along. More than a year was given for this, and on the last day of grace one author says, All those who had means of transportation rode in carts, wagons, carriages, running over the black roads. Whole families drove their cattle. Old men dragged themselves on, leaning on the shoulders of young women who bore at the breast newborn children. Sick men, who wished not to die German, were carried bodily, that they might draw their last breath upon the frontier of Nancy, and thank heaven to die on French soil. Then the Germans tried to blot out all traces of France. The French language was forbidden in schools, on advertisements, or even on tombs. Police and secret service men watched the inhabitants, and men were in prison for any demonstration whatsoever that exalted France. The frontier was closed. All communication with France was cut off, and no one could cross the border without a passport that was vised by the German ambassador in Paris. This was done until the death of Bismarck. In spite of all this, whenever a chance was given for the people to choose between France and Germany, they chose France. It must be remembered, too, that a half million people crossed the line into France while they could and that a half million German immigrants had taken their places. All through the years, France had mourned for her lost provinces and refused to be comforted. Many times I have seen the mourning figure of Strasbourg, which is in the Place de la Concorde, in the heart of the city of Paris. This statue represents the distress of Alsace-Lorraine, and around this figure of war, spirit of France rallied for forty years. It is said that flowers were placed at this figure every day for forty years. When General Joffre and the French army entered Alsace, in August of 1914, the joy of the people knew no bounds. How they wept and rejoiced as the bands played the Marseillaise. French flags that had been hidden away for forty-three years were brought out, and such scenes of rejoicing have rarely been witnessed. The same was true in Paris. A great company of Alsatians formed a procession and marched to the Strasbourg statue on the Concorde. The procession was led by Alsatian women who carried palm branches. All marched bareheaded to the statue. Ladders were placed against the monument, and Alsatian climbed to the top and wound a broad, tricolored sash around the statue. The crowd cried, Away with the crape!" and instantly all signs of mourning that had surrounded the statue for forty-three years were torn away. As might be expected, when the French army was driven out of Alsace later on, the people suffered untold misery. The good Lord only knows what they went through. Thousands were condemned to prison for the awful crime of manifesting their French sentiments. A single word that reflected upon what Germany had done in any way would send one to prison. A lawyer by the name of Berger was sentenced to prison for a term of eight years for casually alluding to the invasion of Belgium. The number of women condemned to prison was enormous, for the women were more outspoken and less respectful to the Germans than the men. Nor did prison sentences end it. Sentences of death were very many. The press was not allowed to mention those who were shot. It was reported that 30,000 of the people in these provinces were imported into Germany. But those days have gone by, and it is certain that never again will Germany wield the scepter over these provinces. Of course, in this brief glimpse of Alsace-Lorraine, many very important matters could not be mentioned at all. But these are sufficient to show why they could not help hating the people who have been heartless in their efforts to subdue some of their blood relatives. End of chapter 12. Recording by Todd.